All right, if you can uh, find your seats again, that'd be great. Well, it's great to see you here uh, this morning. And uh, we are, uh, what, a, what a great thing to be here and to be together uh, to uh, worship uh, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, uh, the God of the universe uh, on a Christmas morning. And uh, I, I know that uh, many of you have uh, a lot of different things planned uh, for today, and, and that's all part of this time of the year, and that's an awesome thing. But, but how great is it that uh, this year that Christmas falls uh, on a Sunday, on a day that the church historically has set aside uh, to worship the King of Kings, and we get to do that here today. So thanks for being here. Uh, thanks for uh, making this part of that uh, celebration today as we celebrate uh, the, birth of, the birth of Jesus. Well, I watched... Uh, or have watched, actually, the last uh, several weeks uh, with intrigue, or um, I I thought about that word intrigue. Maybe it's disgust at these Lexus car commercials. Anybody anybody seen any of those? You know the ones I'm talking about? The the ones where it starts out with this this Lexus tune that you're supposed to immediately associate with the Lexus car company. It's their December to remember. And when you see what you see on those commercials, you realize that you have been given the gift of all gifts, the mother load of gifts. It's kind of like this one. Sometimes a hint is all the wrapping a gift needs. Wait a minute, I... It's the Lexus December to Remember sales event, offering some of our best there you go. of the year. But only Isn't that awesome? Time. I mean, now, has anybody in this room ever had that happen to them? Anybody? I'm not talking about a used car. Wendy, you've had that happen? This is kind of a family setting here this morning. So, and I know your dad's beside you. Tell me, sir, that you did not buy her a new car. It was used? Okay, well, yeah, you used as... Used I can handle used. But I watch that commercial, and I think to myself, self, have you missed something? I mean, is that the real world? In fact, I went on YouTube and started looking at all these commercials. Uh, if you don't have anything to do the rest of the day, uh, go on YouTube and watch these commercials and watch how people respond to these commercials, especially in the world that we're living in today where people don't know if they're going to be able to pay their mortgage payment on the first of the month. The whole idea for, uh, I hate to use the buzz, buzz phrase, but for the 99%, right? How many of you are part of the 99%? I'm, I'm, I'm part of it. I'm just not doing the whole Occupy thing. I'm not into that at all. But the, whole, the idea that somebody would actually get a brand new Lexus and you'd be playing guitar here and all of a sudden you'd go, oh, he got me the $60,000 Lexus. That's just weird to me. I mean, that just does not happen. What is that? It just shows you how messed up our society is. That's the December to remember. I would submit to you, though, that as Christians, as Christ followers, our December to remember is something very, very different than that. You know, oftentimes uh, the preparations and the activities of this particular season will keep us from reflecting on the incredible significance of that first Christmas so long ago. And I know I obviously don't need to remind you this morning, but I will, what a powerful night that was in Bethlehem 
Because Jesus was born that night, and because he was born into our world that evening, so was born hope for each one of us. As we talked about last night, if, if it weren't for that most significant birth of history, we would, of all people, be hopeless and helpless this morning as the Apostle Paul reminded the church at Corinth. So on that night, hope was born for us. He came into our world, as John aptly states in John 3.17, not to condemn the world, no, not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him as a result of the incarnation. Max Lucado writes in his book, God Came Near, while the creatures of the earth walked unaware, divinity arrived. Heaven opened herself and placed the most precious one in a human womb. The omnipotent in one instant made himself breakable. He who had been spirit became pierceable. He who was larger than the universe became an embryo. And he who sustains the world with a word chose to be dependent upon the nourishment of a young girl. God as a fetus. Holiness sleeping in a womb. The creator of life being created. He goes on to write, God was giving, given eyebrows. He was given elbows, two kidneys, and a spleen. He stretched against the walls and floated in the amniotic fluid of his mother. God came near. He came not as flesh of light or as an unapproachable conqueror, but as one whose first cries were heard by a peasant girl and a sleepy carpenter. The hands that first held him were unmanicured, calloused, and dirty. No silk, no ivory, no party, no hoopla. Were it not for shepherds, there would have been no reception that evening. And were it not for a group of stargazers, there would have been no gifts. Angels watched as Mary changed God's diaper. The universe watched with wonder as the Almighty learned to walk. Children played in the streets with him, and as the at the synagogue, the leaders in Nazareth, had they known would have balked at the sight of who was listening to his sermons. Max goes on to write this, and I think this is quite intriguing. Jesus may have had pimples. He may have been tone deaf. Perhaps a girl down the street had a crush on him or vice versa. It could be that his knees were bony. He ends that section of his book, God Came Near, by saying this. One thing's for sure. He was, while completely divine, completely human. Tim Keller wrote, Christmas is telling you that you could never get to heaven on your own. God had to come to you. That is why we celebrate Christmas, because God came to us. You know, the Gospel of Luke, and if you have your Bibles, and I trust you do this morning, you you turn there to Luke chapter 4. The Gospel of Luke records for us the account of the beginning of Jesus' public uh, ministry. We're going to look down at verse 14 and a few verses following here for just a few moments. But this event actually, which is taking place here in Luke chapter 4, was actually foretold in the Old Testament book of Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 9, he wrote, He shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness, Isaiah said, will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. 
For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff of their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor as as at the battle of Midian. Isaiah had foretold this event would take place. Look with me, if you will, down at verse 14. Verse 14 says, And Jesus returned to Galilee, and the power of the Spirit and news about him spread throughout all the surrounding district. And as he began teaching in their synagogues, he was praised by all. Now, I want to set the scene for you just real quickly. We only have a few minutes this morning. And I told somebody this morning I want to preach about 45 minutes on this text. And that's if I really hold back a little bit. But I'm not going to do that this morning. All right, kids, don't, don't get scared. But I want to set the setting for you. I want to set the scene for you to make sure you understand what's going on here. The scene is a Jewish synagogue. Now, many of you have probably never been to a Jewish synagogue, but try to picture, if you will, what it would have been like back in Jesus' day 2,000 years ago. Jesus is in the city of Nazareth. Now, that's very significant because if you know your, your, your Bible well, you know that this is the town that Jesus grew up in. This is the place where he lived from the time that he was just a small child. He probably knew some of the people that were sitting with him that day in the temple. Some of them might have watched him play as a little child. Uh, Some of them might have watched him play right in their backyard. They they might have watched him learn how to ride a bike if they rode bikes. I don't know. Maybe they had big wheels. I don't know exactly what they did. but, But they watched him growing up. And now they're in the synagogue, and this little boy that they saw grow up all of a sudden is beginning to teach them. It's it's really a a remarkable setting here in Luke 4. In fact, it appeared to be just like any other Sabbath there at the temple for those that were in attendance. But here's what you need to understand, that everything would change in just a moment. What could have been so extraordinary turned out to be incredibly tragic because the Messiah was there, but they didn't recognize that the Messiah was there. All of this happens in the same day. Now look at verse 16. It says, And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me. This is what we just read in Isaiah 9. Because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of our Lord. They hand him the book of Isaiah. You can just picture the scrolls being opened up. And they hand it to the king of kings, the Lord of lords. That one who this text was written about, and he reads it to these people. And then, I I love verse 20, it says, And he closed the book, and he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of all the people there in the synagogue were fixed on him. And then look at what he said in verse 21. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Are you excited about that? You don't look too excited. I'm telling you, this is one of the most remarkable places in scripture to me. I've never heard it preached on at Christmas, but it is the most remarkable thing. Do you remember I said to you last night that for many on that first Christmas Eve, when, 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 
the, the shepherds heard of that little baby that was born, the Messiah was born, and they realized that the hope, the fulfillment of the stories that they'd been told since they were little bitty boys was being fulfilled, they went. But for most people, Jesus' birth went unannounced. They didn't know. They didn't realize. There was no fanfare. There was no hoopla. And so this really is when Jesus is proclaiming, I'm that guy. This is extraordinary. For these Jewish people who were listening, it was an extraordinary moment because suddenly he was saying to them, I'm that one, that one that you've read before, these words that I've read to you. I'm that man. The text says that they spoke well of him after that, and they wondered at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. That is, until they figured out exactly who he was. <laughs> if you read on there, and we won't take the time to read this morning, but you recognize that a few people began to say, I think I know him. I, 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 think, that that's the, I think that's the little boy that used to throw the ball in my backyard with my son. And I, I think I remember him. I know who that is. That's the son of Mary and Joseph. And then Jesus goes in those next few verses to tell them because that's where we get the whole idea that a prophet doesn't have honor in his own country and Jesus goes to explain to them, I know you're looking for somebody different. I know you're looking for something else, but I'm that guy. They were in awe of his eloquent speech, but they did not like his message. What was his message? His message was clear. Salvation is available. It's available to those of you who confess your spiritual poverty. You have to understand, for many of those sitting at the synagogue that day, they didn't think they had any spiritual poverty. Not too unlike many of us that live in the year 2011, right? We're basically okay. Isn't that what we're told? Doesn't our culture scream out to us that basically we're good people, basically we're okay? They didn't like that. Jesus said you need to confess your spiritual bondage. You need to confess your spiritual darkness. You need to confess your spiritual defeat. Many times the teacher in the synagogue had stood up and said, the blessed hour of the Messiah is to come. And the, and, the, and the rabbi, the teacher, would point to that time. That time is coming. Many times the teacher had said, the people who are witnesses, eyewitnesses of the Messiah himself, will be greatly blessed, so watch out for him. And now he was, he was present. Messiah had come, but he's not what they expected. He's not what they wanted. So look at verses 28 and 29. It says, And all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard him say these things. How do you go from, wow, look at, listen to the words this man is saying and listen to how eloquent he is, to just a few minutes later being filled with rage as they heard these things. Look at verse 29. And they got up and drove him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill on which their city had been built, in order to throw him down the cliff. It goes from, he's here, the Messiah is here. He's just proclaimed himself to, uh, hey, why don't you come with us? Let's take a little walk. And they go out to the edge of the city, and as they're talking with him, they literally want to push him over the edge of the cliff. But verse 30 said, but passing through their midst, he went on his way. He got out of town. You see, these people wanted a 
wanted a warrior to come and rescue them from the persecution that they were experiencing under the hand of rogue nations and rogue leaders. They really wanted a benevolent benefactor to provide them with their daily needs. They wanted a royal king on a horse to admire. And that's not what this Jesus was. The Jews rejected him that day because they did not acknowledge their need of a savior from their sin. They wanted a savior from their, from their temporary problems. They wanted somebody to give them a temporary hope in the midst of their current circumstances. You know, it's so easy for us to look at them. I've done this with so many Bible characters, and you probably have too. You look at Samson and you think, man, if I had that body, I mean, you talk about washboard abs. If I was Samson, I never would have done the things that he did. And boy, if I could have been that great leader, Saul, that king, I never would have been as insecure as him, and I never would have behaved that way. We're so hard on Bible characters, aren't we? Let's not forget Jonah. How could he disobey God? And boy, he got what he deserved by being swallowed by that big fish, I'll tell you. We're so hard on them. And yet I submit to you that exactly that what is happening in Luke 4, as these people are confronted with who the Messiah really is, and we see what their response is to that Messiah, for many of us here today and outside this place today, we respond very similarly. For many today, it's still the desire that the Jews had on that day. We want a Savior simply to rescue us from our current pain or circumstances. We don't really want him to radically transform and change our lives. We don't want to be put in a situation where he would actually inconvenience our lives. But boy, when that car is going down that slippery road and we think we're about ready to go into a ditch, who do we call on? God, save me. That's what we want. We want a savior from temporary circumstances. And I will say to you folks this morning, that's not why Jesus came. Let's not miss the fundamental life-changing truth on this Christmas morning, and that is this, that it's easy for us to love a baby that's in a manger. It's easy for us to love that little baby that's laying in that nice straw with Mary and Joseph so nicely dressed, Joseph in his bathrobe, and as we saw last night, Joseph with his crocheted beard. We saw that outside, that was awesome. It's easy for us to love that little baby Jesus. Who doesn't love a little baby, right? But it's quite another thing for us to love him and to accept him as our Savior. Jesus was born in this world not simply to be be a cute, cuddly baby laying in a bed of straw in a manger. In fact, the Apostle Paul made it clear to Timothy uh, when he wrote, That Jesus came to save sinners. The Apostle Paul went on to say, the man who I believe probably was one of the greatest Christians, one of the most godly men to ever walk the face of the planet as he walked with Jesus, he said, God came into this world to save sinners, and I'm the chief one. I'm the chief sinners. Folks, that's why God came. That's why God came near to us. He didn't just come near to us so we'd have a holiday to celebrate in the middle of the winter. He came to save sinners of whom I am chief and so are you. He's our only hope. 
And so on that first Christmas day 2,000 years ago, hope was realized. A baby was born whose life and, and then subsequent death, but not only death, but his resurrection would change the eternal destiny of mankind. And that's why to complete that text that we started with last night, reading out of the message, Luke wrote in Luke chapter 2, there were sheep herders camping in the neighborhood. They'd set night watches over their sheep, and suddenly God's angel stood among them, and God's glory blazed around them, and they were terrified. And the angel said, don't be afraid. I'm here to announce a great and joyful event that is meant for everybody worldwide. A Savior's just been born in David's hometown. A Savior who is Messiah. He's the Master. This is what you're looking for. And so that prophecy was fulfilled, which Isaiah had written. The people who were sitting in darkness, they have seen a great light. And those who were sitting in the land in shadow of death, upon them a light has dawned. And I'll tell you this this morning, that no matter what else happens in life for me or for you, I have hope this morning because of that little baby that was born in a manger that didn't stay a little baby in a manger, that didn't stay a little knobby need grade school boy or middle school boy or high school boy, but he became a man and at age 30 began his public ministry knowing full well that three years later he would suffer and bleed and die on a cross for your sins and my sins and the sins of everybody on this planet that ever has been or ever will be. My life has been changed because of that event. God came near to live with us. Emmanuel, God with us. 2,000 years later, his life changed my life. And it has the ability, if it's not already, to change your life as well. When you step out of the darkness, out of the bondage and weight of that sin, and you step into marvelous light, the light of Jesus Christ. I submit to you today that if you get that message, if you understand that message, this Christmas will be like no other. It doesn't matter what gift you go home and find under the tree. It doesn't matter, ladies, if your husband, if he pulled that off, and you get home and all of a sudden your cell phone starts playing that tune. Insignificant. The greatest gift that you and I will ever receive is Jesus Christ, not as a little baby, as the Savior of the world trust you'll celebrate that today. Let's pray. God, I am so thankful, as Keen said earlier, to be here, to be in this place, to focus myself upon the God of the universe, a God that loved me so much, and my friends here today, and all of the people on this planet so much that Scripture says that while we were yet sinners, he was even willing to die for us so aptly expressing and describing that agape love, that love that is not self-serving, that only wants what's best for us and expects nothing in return but gives us a free gift of salvation. God, I'm so thankful for that. I thank you that at age nine, uh, your spirit drew me to yourself, that I understood that I was a sinner, I understood my need of a Savior. And I trusted in Christ alone as my Savior. And that sin debt has been marked paid in full. God, I thank you for that. 
Thanks for how this birth 2,000 years ago that we celebrate today changed my life and so many of my friends here today. God, may we be so uh, refreshed about this story once again, this life-changing event for mankind, that we're motivated to go and share the good news of the gospel in this community. There's so many people that feel hopeless, not realizing that hope can be realized by a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So, God, we worship you this morning. We praise you. We thank you for who you are and for what you've done for us. And we thank you in Jesus' name.